Hello and welcome back to Out of the Question. I'm your host, Adam Zwar. This week's guest is Andy Lee, one half of Australia's most popular comedy duo ever. He and Hamish Blake started off doing TV and radio at university before making their commercial radio debut on Fox FM doing the 10pm to midnight slot on Mondays. We're going to hear about that here, as well as their network TV debut on Channel 7's The Hamish and Andy Show. As of this moment, Hamish and Andy have enjoyed nearly two decades of unparalleled radio and television popularity with their drive show on Fox FM often netting 2.5 million listeners and their TV shows such as Real Stories, Hamish and Andy's Gap Year, True Story with Hamish and Andy and Hamish and Andy's Perfect Holiday getting huge ratings and playing all over the world. In the past few years, the boys have branched into more solo work with Andy hosting The Cube on Channel 10 and The 100 on Channel 9 and he also semi-regularly co-hosts Seven's AFL show the front bar. During our chat, Andy and I talk a lot of shop, deep dive into his friendship with Shane Warne, and conclude that there's no reason not to eat past drunk consecutive nights. Please forgive my croaky voice during this episode. You'd think I'd shut up because I was unbearable to listen to, but no, I seem to have a lot to say. As usual, I started by asking Andy how his colleagues would describe him. Um, look, sorry, off the top here, I need to, I need to state that I've I'm coming unprofessionally today. And I never do this. I'm, I'm hungover. <laughs> Mate, you're not the first. <laughs> and I never do this. I reckon in the 3,000 shows Hamish and I have done, I would have been hungover four, four or five times. Um, but I had a memorial for a friend of mine who passed yesterday. Oh, my God. And, uh, and so we went deep. And I didn't want yeah. to cancel on you because we've been trying to get together for a long time. <laughs> no, mate. Mate, it's absolutely fine. So I just um, wanted to acknowledge that off the top. No, um, no. People look good when they're hungover. It's great. <laughs> um, so how would my colleagues describe me? Well, are you, are you allowed to use the C-bomb on this? Yeah, uh, oh, for <laughs> sure. For sure. Uh, courageous. Yes, yeah, <laughs> courageous. Um, oh, look, I'm definitely due diligent, which borders on anal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, meticulous, which borders on annoying. Uh, I'm sure you could choose other ways of, of describing it. But, yeah, I like, uh, I love working in teams, though. It's my favourite thing to do. Yeah. Um, I love um, great working environments and making sure that everyone is, is you know, has, has, has that. And because uh, and I think people thrive in those environments. So we do have a lot mm. of fun at work. But, um, yeah, I... I I tend to sweat small things a lot and, and want to make sure everything's perfect. Do your parents come from education? Are they? Yeah. They do. They, but they're both primary school teachers. Right. So does that, is that something that kind of, that teachers have that like that meticulous attention to detail? And uh, <clears throat> it certainly runs on my dad's side. Like my yeah. dad, he, you know, he'd laminate anything. You know, I've got, <laughs> <laughs> I've got um, you know, there's a we've got a bread we bought a bread maker years and years ago and the manual is laminated as soon as it comes out of the box you know dad does that for the tv arrives everyone throws out the instructions dad puts everything in a manuals folder with their own sleeve um so i have inherited a lot of that Um, (laughs) he's troublesome like he loves things being ordered he loves schedules i love i like the same um, he loved when, when he discovered 
calendars, iCal and stuff. Oh, oh yeah. Game changer for him. Yeah. Uh, one day I was driving down to the coast of our beach, beach place and he rang me and, and said, oh, where are you? I said, oh, I'm about 15 minutes away from the beach house. I'm going to stay a couple of days. And when I arrived, there was a calendar appointment saying, Andy at the beach house starting in 15 minutes. Mate, <laughs> 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 nice. he sounds like he's my people, which is German. Um, yes. But Lee, Lee is not a German surname. No. <laughs> so that's that. I think is where it, it's it stems from. I mean, I, I'm going on about my dad a bit here, but he um, he got every photo album we've ever had, every photo, and scanned them in and put them in iPhoto with the dates, and because he wrote on the back of all the photos, date and what we're doing. Fantastic. And so the new memories comes up on the photos app if people who have iPhone, you know, Facebook have a similar thing. Uh, and it normally says, you know, oh, in 2014, you're doing this because that's when we all started having smartphones. <laughs> my dad's memories goes, on this day in 1984, you were washing the van. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. There's a picture of me as a three-year-old with him washing our high-ace camper van, which is also the family car. So that's how ordered he is. That's brilliant. That's really great. Is he, is, is he good at quizzes and things like that? Is he good at general knowledge? Uh, I wouldn't say overly. He loves mm. doing them, but I wouldn't yeah, yeah. say overly. He, um, he's certainly the kind of person in the, during the quiz where if, if someone mentioned it in passing amongst several other answers, he gives you the point. Uh, he's, good on him um, but he he's he loves in, i mean he's, he's only given up teaching last year he's 73 now so he taught for a long long time he loves kids and he just loves people succeeding and um yeah it's pretty special that way and does he remember his his students does he remember names yeah. and yeah yeah he nearly remembers i reckon he nearly remembers every single one of them which i think is is kind of true of a lot of primary school teachers and teachers right. in general Yes. They tend, the good ones, I, I think, they have this investment in their, their, their students that, and, they, and, they, and they follow them, you know. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's, it really is. I, I remember doing a play in, in Brisbane, like this in the 90s, and um, my old drama teacher turned up and, like, I didn't ask him. He just, just turned up to it. He must have been looking in the paper or whatever. And I went, wow, that is, thank you. That, is, that actually meant, even now, you know, yeah. 20 years later, it means so much to me. Yeah, I agree. It, funnily enough, I mentioned the memorial um, funeral I had yesterday and it was for a, a schoolmate of mine and the head of music was there from oh. 20 years ago. Oh, wow. And this, this bloke that died did, wasn't even, didn't even do music. <laughs> oh, said, wow. And I said to him, oh, thanks for coming. Why did you come? And he said, I knew that he was best friends with a lot of my music students and they'd be here. Right. Wow. Incredible, yeah. Some of them have that duty of care, you know. Um, I, I was going to ask you. This is a little unrelated. I was going to ask you. Um, excuse, excuse my voice. I, I think I might be losing it. Um, the what's the difference in working in, with show business people versus working with sports people? Because you're one of the few who actually traverse those camps. Yeah, interesting question. I think the I'll give you the, one of the main similarities first because I found this fascinating, is if each team, and uh, in whether it's showbiz or in sports, they've got an X-factor player. They've got a person that the rules are different for because 
they're so naturally brilliant mm. at what they do mm. and you have to massage that and it doesn't you know people people that bothers some people because you should be keep, keep it should be fair and everyone should be treated the same but just it's just not the case and you know, we, you saw that in the last dance, um, the Michael Jordan documentary, the way they let Dennis Rodman go to Vegas for three days <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the season. The coach is cool. Um, yeah. um, I think that's true of showbiz. And I think it's a really important part of leadership, whoever's in charge of those teams, to get it right. Because, yeah, the Dennis Rodman example, um, it worked out really well for them. Mm. But you can breed a bit of you know dissent in the ranks um yes. but it's important to get the best out of those people and and you know i feel so hamish is one of those guys not that he's going to vegas for three days <laughs> i find him so brilliant at what he does mm. and he just prepares differently he doesn't need and and you realize that not everyone needs to sit there with pads and pens and or needs to attend all meetings in fact it's better that some people don't um so I think that's, you know, that's a similarity. It's a similar thing to the, with sports people. Glenn Maxwell in the cricketing yes. world is another great example of just he plays ridiculous shots that will, will, will sometimes get him out and everyone, and everyone remembers the times he gets out and say, why is he doing that? But um, equally, he's disarming and winning games to stop his own bat from doing that exact thing. 100%. Really fascinating signs, I think, trying to harness and capture the brilliant you know, the geniuses and, yes. and, and, and put them in the, in, the, in the right frame of mind. Talking of geniuses, I was keen to know how Andy's friend, the late great Shane Warne, dealt with being that much better than everyone else at his chosen vocation. Warne sometimes didn't realise that his natural brilliance not everyone had. And when I was, you know, working with him at the Melbourne Stars, um, he, he asked stuff, particularly of bowlers. You know, a good example was Clint Mackay. Um, it was a fast bowler. He was bowling and Warnie had set up a field for a wide Yorker. And I know we're going deeper to cricket all the time. Oh, mate, I love it. Clint McKay wasn't really great at bowling wide Yorkers. Very good at slow ball bumpers or slow ball bounces yes. and, and your straight Yorker and so on. And, and he said, hey, Warnie said, just bowl a wide Yorker. And he said, oh, I don't, I don't really, I can't really, you know, do that. And he's like, of course you can, of course you can. And it's a hard ball to execute. Get it wrong. Goes for four or six. And Mackay missed the mark and, and, and it went to the boundary and I'm out there for the drinks and, and Warney's going, you know, bloody hell, you know, Mackay's not bowling to my field, da, da, da. And I said, mate, it's not as easy for everyone else as it is for you. And I mean, yeah, I don't play at all. But <laughs> I said, you've got yes. to realise that you can do anything very easily. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you're confident to do anything, bowl any ball whenever you want. So even just belief is a big yeah. part of it. And we talked a little bit about that, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear that because I never had the pleasure of meeting him. And, you know, not only <clears throat> did I not meet him, I had a lot of friends during, uh, during his one year, one year suspension who actually faced him. <laughs> you, it was probably you too. It's like, <laughs> I'm so jealous. <laughs> I have faced him. It wasn't during his suspension, but I faced it. But yeah, he, he um, Fascinating fellow, amazing leader, yeah. um, at times a chaotic leader because he had so many ideas, you know, as yeah. a coach, definitely he needed really good kind of um, lieutenants around him because they could kind of take the essence. Uh, but Warnie, 
wasn't great at sticking to a plan because another great idea would come up, you know, yeah. and, and they were both as good, but yeah. sometimes you could be changing too much and it's kind of an interesting lesson in leadership. I think he would have been a fantastic captain nice. uh, if he had the right vice around him. Yeah. Um, and again, when we go back to kind of harnessing someone's brilliance, it's about finding the right environment for them. I think that you saw in Michael Clark's captaincy many late night conversations with Warney. You know, yeah, yeah. just like Clark did have that instinct of exactly when, you know, pull a, a bowling change and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was aggressive. Um, Which was an interesting moment because, um, you know, straight after a game, straight after a SARS game, straight after a training, Warney's on the phone to Clarky, Clark, often, a lot of, and, and, and that was back when the captain had a call and selection as well. So you're hearing Warney, and I might be in the car with him, whatever, he's like, oh, no, he's, I don't think he's any good, da, da, da. and they're, they're talking about, election and so on and, and I found that an interesting thing because not to say that Warney was um was having not making calls like but obviously he was a confidant for Clarkey yeah but it did put Warney in a strange position at times with other players that were on the brink of making the Australian team within our group yeah, because yeah. he's a conduit to one of the selectors yeah. Um, and so it made it harder for, I think, I think, in my opinion, made it harder for a few of them to actually question Warney on some things because uh, mm-hmm. not that they were scared to. I think just subconsciously you might find yourself going, maybe it's not worth it because I want this guy <laughs> to put a good word in for me, you know. Yeah. Oh, mate, that's so interesting. What an insight and what a world you walked into there. Oh, mate, I was so lucky. I'm, I'm, I'm so forever grateful to Shane for ringing me, ringing me up and, and asking me to be a part of it and, and coming in as his sidekick mainly. And, and then it kind of grew past that for the whole groups. But um, yeah, it was such an important and wonderful time for me um, for those first three, four years with him. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you and I both for all the same sides, I think, mate, but you, <laughs> you're closer to the action side. So could actually just like question you all day about that stuff. Um, <laughs> the next question is, what's the most unhelpful feedback you've received? Oh, I, I think, you know what? I actually think it's, someone said to me once, don't, don't start until you've got a clear idea of what you, what you want to do. Uh, and I, in part, that's true, but I actually think a lot of people end up not starting ever. Yes. <laughs> and I actually feel now starting when you don't have a clear idea is the best thing. Um, and just, just getting on with it, putting something down, filming something. And it's not committing to a project that you know is going to go out without knowing what's going to do. That's a disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the development process of any idea, um, whether it be in the creative field or an entertainment industry, or even just in your own workplace with a new system or anything like that, thinking that you have to have the outcome set before you start it, like, oh, yeah, and, and this will happen and, and, and you need everything predicted, I think you tie yourself in knots and I, yeah. I feel that it's actually better just to start now. Yeah, um, I agree. <clears throat> As Malthouse said, no, no idea survives enemy contact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, yeah. they talk about that in screenwriting too. You know, you do a vomit draft and I uh, just. Oh, that's what they call it. That's funny. Yeah. 
just get it on the page. And then when it's on the page, then you can kind of go back and finesse and, and, and bring structure to it and everything. Yeah. I, I want to ask you one of the, on, on that front then, because I'm fascinated and you know, I'm a fan of, of, your, of your work and, and screenwriting is how many drafts are too many drafts? Do you think there is a point where you, you can overwork something? It's, I, I think you already like know the answer to this because it's all about the, the people that you trust giving you feedback, um, okay. inclu- including yourself, because it's um, obviously in Australia paid for, I think it's three drafts and a polish, generally speaking. Some producers will try and stretch the friendship there and they go, we haven't got any money left, but hey, your name's on the script, so you might have to do another draft. And you go, that, that's not fair either. I think you, there is a philosophy where a draft will go backwards. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that for me is all about the wrong people giving you notes. Um, <laughs> and you know, I mean, you would know from all your years of working in radio and, uh, and TV, um, who gives the best notes and who doesn't. You can't in a network meeting, and again, you know this. Um, uh, you always go, I'll take a look at it, yeah. even for the worst note. I'll take a look at it. <laughs> yeah, I've slowly learned that, Adam. I've lost a bit. I wasn't good at it. Um, the funny <laughs> thing for the TV shows Hamish and I were doing was we never had network notes ever, oh. we never, never had it. We just give them a tape and they play it. That was the, the, the rules and that was our, our uh, deal. And only more recently on The 100, uh, my recent TV show, um, yeah. was it a different, I didn't realise, but um, suddenly the network had notes. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty accommodating, but I, I had some I had some clashes. Yeah. <laughs> and, some, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and it was an adjustment. And it's not to say that they had bad notes. It was an adjustment to the timeline of finishing something I hadn't really oh. put in into the process the a lot of time to action notes and so that's one thing I think you agree with is we now work on making sure everything has time um Hamish and I are really passionate about that because uh time pressure is the worst pressure for anything and obviously time is money so we try and go lean and ha- add more time because just mulling is important oh, for sure. and if someone wants to give you a note you, you need to be in a frame of mind to be able to action it uh and if you're not what's the point of ever getting the note yeah yeah that's right because you you want to think about it you you know just stay i mean because sometimes i have gone you know in my mind i've got enough it's a terrible note and then a few days later gone yeah it's actually yeah. okay <laughs> yeah there's always something i reckon in a note there's always mm. even if it's a terrible idea if you I reckon I can trace it back. I've got time. I'll, I'll trace back. What was the root of why they're saying this? Mm, yes. And sometimes it's an awful suggestion that just goes against the show in, entirely. But why are they suggesting this? Oh, they obviously don't like segment six. Or what's, what is the problem with it? Why they don't like it? They're, mm. they're suggesting how to fix it's wrong. Mm. But they're probably <laughs> right that, 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 that maybe it needs another look or another pass and we can get a different solution. So... Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I I I, I like I like notes. I like I love notes, um, particularly if I've got time. Yes. If I don't have time, I actually just want people to say it's great. And yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's exactly right. What do you want me to do in the next two hours? You know, 
Andy and I moved on to talking about the nature of luck and how much influence it can have on a career. It is a lottery a little bit with regards to, and timing with regards to who can find that broad audience at that moment and, and mm. perhaps become a star or whatever they say it is. But now Hamish and I are acute, acutely aware that there's a number of factors that led to us getting a platform big enough to be able to grow a, a base. And there was a lot of things that were outside of control and a lot of luck. And mm. I think there's some extremely talented people that could have easily been in my seat. Yeah, I I, I get the, the luck thing. The, the, what I would push back on is that you'd be surprised. I mean, leaving aside talent, uh, which is indisputable, but you'd be surprised how much you actually know about the craft. And I think a lot of people, um, they could be really talented and they don't bother to look at the craft of how to actually put something together. It's just, in the end of the day, it's a, it's a trade. And I, I find it interesting that they go, we're going to pull some reality person out of a reality show, put them on radio, and they're going to do three hours of radio. <laughs> and you just go, what? It's just, it's such a, um, it's such a kick in the face to it's, people who are professional, you know? Oh, totally agree. Eamon and I felt the same about radio. We, we loved, we loved the craft. And mm. we loved analysing it. We loved analysing it. Um, before we were even on it, before we were even on community radio, wow. we'd yeah, drive yeah. home from university and be listening to the shebang with Marty, Marty Chico and Fifi Box. And I was like, oh, that break was interesting. And they did this and that. And we're talking, we're analysing, we're doing an air check with for no other reason than we just found it interesting. Wow, um, that's great. Yeah. So, and I, I, I do, I love the analysis of it all. Um, McAllist, another one, Sean, mm. um, and Rob Sitch and I play a lot of golf, which, you know, 10, 15 years ago would have been um, pinching myself to hang yes. out with people. But um, we, and we share a lot of that. And, and Rob is one of the great analysts of, of why something may be working or, or not. Yeah. We yeah. Trading our secrets on that. It's interesting because I did hear, the reason why I brought that up is I did hear this podcast with, Conan O'Brien and, and Michael Scher, who, who, you know, did the office and parks and rec and, and a good place. And then they were both going on just, Oh, well, we're just lucky. We're just lucky. We're in this like, like position. I'm thinking there's very few people in the world who know as much about comedy and, and it's history and the construction of jokes more than you guys, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah you're lucky, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you knew all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. No, that's true. You know, I look, I, I'm, I'm super proud of, of what Hamish and I did and, and, um, and the amount of hard work that goes into it, you know, mm. is, is not underestimated. But I also think that that, that luck to, to get the right bounce um, at, at a time um, mm. also plays a big role. I guess this question is a nice segue. What, what is the failure you most cherish? Upon reflection, the Hamish and Andy show on Channel 7 was the best failure you could possibly have ever hoped for. So if people don't know, we had a show on Channel 7. Um, we'd done, you know, five half hours on Channel 31 and they gave us a primetime TV show on Channel 7. Lasted six episodes. Andrew O'Keefe was on it. So you the, took over from... That show called The Big Buy. Chris Lilly was on it doing Mr G. Kate McCartney from the catering show was in it. You yeah. know, some great performers. And Hamish and I had added late as... Um, two extra comedy actors and then um, they changed the name of the show to Hamish and Andy without asking any, anyone <laughs> including us um, which made us well and truly hated by the rest of the cast um, oh, no. and it was a really difficult working environment but oh. we, um, we learned so much and 
uh, and we got axed after six weeks. And the show was f- fine. You know, it's yeah. it, it's not. I think the front bar dug it up to try and. Um, I haven't watched it back ever, but I was chatting to the, the front bar guys, the footy sports show, and they dug it up to try and bag me, and they were going to show old clips. And I said, "Oh, great." Um, uh, I was talking to Paul Galicia about it. And he, I said, "Oh, great. What did what, you find?" He said, um, "It was that was pretty funny at times, you know." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would magically just say that. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, so yeah. it, it was it was fine, <laughs> but not great, and it could have trickled on. It could have seen out. It's they could have moved it later night, and it could have trickled on for two seasons. And been unremarkable, and we wouldn't have stopped doing it because it's a job. Yeah, um, and we probably wouldn't have got this. There was a media backlash about for, for, against Channel Seven for putting two twenty-one-year-olds on telly and then axing them straight away. Like, what did you expect? And so we had almost a, a halo effect of being hard done by, where if they just moved the slot and let it run out six more, you know, twelve yeah. episodes. Everyone would have gone, oh, that was fine. But, yeah, I don't think it needs to come back. So, <laughs> so you got real stories in the back of that? Yeah. So, yeah, we did real stories off the back of that one. And Rove, Roving um, reached out and wanted us That's to right. join and because uh, they'd seen that. And then we offered a more prominent slot on radio. And they got, we got called in because Channel 7 announced the TV show. And they said, hey, um, we haven't been paying you to do the, 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 the late night show on, on the radio. I said, no, no. And they said, we thought we we're actually getting called in because Hamish filled up his car petrol and then we kept the nozzle off and filled my car petrol up <laughs> and, and put it on a work receipt. <laughs> awesome. So they're like, we're not paying you. I said, no, no. And like, we'd love to back pay you for every show you've done if you sign this contract. And I'm like, oh, oh, great. Um, so the fear of missing out and the fear of us going, even though we hadn't really done or achieved anything, it kind of snowballed the other aspects of our career. And then this thing gets axed and some of the, this print articles saying it's unfair and they're talking about it on ABC radio, it's unfair. And so that was getting picked up. And so we were lucky that that failed. We were lucky it got axed. And, uh, and because I think, again, we could have easily just pedaled along on a pretty crappy you know, sketch show for a- you could have been like me, mate, and done the wedge. You know, fifty-two <laughs> episodes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I- <laughs> no, mate, no, no, no. I, I'm genuine. I've been genuine. It's like it's yeah. Can you see? You know the comparison, though, don't you? Oh, you for sure. Probably want to be doing something. Maybe I mean I'm putting words in your mouth, but maybe you're in a situation where you you feel like you're not best exploiting your uh, talents. Yeah. But you've got a job. Got a job. I think that, you know, it was just flying miles, just kind of being in front of the camera and going, okay, well, this is what I look like when I do this silly voice. And, you know, you won't be pulling that face again. You know? <laughs> no, you're spot on. I mean, people underestimate the flying hours. That's why I love Channel 31 so much. Because mm. it, it is exactly the same thing. You've just, you're in a weird, studios are always weird. You've got people yeah. behind cameras and yes. you're meant to act normal. Yeah. Um, and, and and particularly when you're doing the pre- presenting side of thing, it's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's it's so just 
becoming comfortable in that environment is, is all it is is flying hours. And it's that notion just like you with studio, you've just kind of reminded me that, you know, when you have your live audience in one, one night a week or whatever, and, and the impetus is to, is to yell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you've got an audience then. But no, the mics are picking it all up. And why are you fucking yelling? So <laughs> oh, true. And I didn't realise how little live television I'd done until I started up on the front bar. Uh, oh, back. Yeah, right. Um, because Hamish and I was, was always pre-recorded. We'd, we'd done, the, you know, Rove, Rove days we'd go and do live, Rove, but we'd only do one sentence each and throw it in a package and sit back and watch out. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, thankfully Front Bar has a beer in front of me. <laughs> it's yeah, a little that's bit of a right. comfort item. But it, it occurred to me just before, I'm like, shit, I haven't done any of this, really. You know, I've gone on the yeah. Today Show to promote something, but you're a guest, you're getting interviewed. I haven't done this. And, That's interesting. Um, it took me about four episodes, I reckon. Well, um, you're, you looked like a natural to me. It was, it was but certainly to feel comfortable and like you know, yeah. a, a, a live television, uh, uh, particularly if you're un, unsure about your own talents. Um, you know, a second can feel like a minute. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And so, <laughs> so I would. Um, uh, again, going back to probably my, my dad with the thoroughness, I would finish the show, we'd have a beer after, but come home and I'd watch it straight back again that night, the whole thing, and, and, and realise that the things I was worried about actually drifted by and no one would have noticed whatsoever. Oh, that's and good. that gave me that confidence to go, oh, why was I worried about that? Why was I worried about that? Why was I worried about that? And I couldn't prove here and here and here. Um, and that was a form of preparation for me just to... We always, as performers, think something, when something goes bad, that it feels ten times worse than it is. Yes. Um, and yeah. so it's, it's. I find it helps me to uh, to watch those moments back and actually, while sitting on the couch with a drink, a phone in one hand, and go, "How did it actually feel? Oh my mm. god, what was I worried about?" Yeah, Apple. yeah. Should be like paying and not worry about anything. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yes. there, are some levels, there are some <laughs> levels where it becomes disturbing at the other end of the spectrum. That's right. um, there was, a, you reminded me in, in 2012, Lawrence Mooney, Pangy and myself um, hosted the Paralympics and Pangy was on like doing outside broadcast. So it was Mooney and me essentially doing <laughs> three hours on, the, on day one oh. with no medals, no competition and it was diabolical and just like looking at social media afterwards and just this kind of like tidal wave of hate (laughs) and we got better it was just such a baptism of fire like people don't underestimate that that's why i'm I'm in awe of sports commentators yes when the rain delay hits so when something happens and they've just got a pad yeah and padding is hard i mean (laughs) We, we easily waffle when, when you're in, amongst your mates, but when someone's behind the camu- camera, like pulling their hands out to say, we need more time, you, know, <laughs> you, you catch a glimpse of this person kind of mouthing to you to pad and you go, I, all I want to say is someone's telling me to pad. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's the worst sign in show business. So. Oh. Um, Andy, what word or phrase do you most overuse? Wow, and amazing, actually. So I'm worried now that over this last 
you know, 20 minutes we've been chatting. I've used it too many times already, but I do, it's, no. um, one of the things I edit all the shows that I'm in, which again makes me sound like an absolute narcissist that I, that I watch back every single frame. But, um, Duty of I, care, mate. Yes. But I do feel um, a show can be ruined at many different stages actually yeah, yeah. it can be it can be ruined in scripting it can be ruined in the way it's captured and then it can absolutely no matter how good those first two were can be killed in an edit so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. when you put so much time and effort into the first two phases um why leave the third one to chance as has always been my my 100 yeah um, so i do get to see the phrases I use a lot and wow and amazing. I might kill, I feel it, my padding when I'm trying to think of something to say, if I'm kind of interviewing or talking to something, uh, someone and they say something, I go, oh, wow. <laughs> and then I wait and think and think and then I come up with something. <laughs> I love it, mate. I love it. Do you have a motto? Um, you can have pasta on any night of the week and subsequent nights as well. Yes. My right. girlfriend always says to me, no, no, we had that last night. It's like, not a rule. doesn't matter. <laughs> you, can, you can keep going. I'm the same, mate. I've been patronising this Mexican joint up here in, in Byron Bay, and um, and I bring a lot of people there. Whenever they come up, I, I'm, you know, I make sure that business, you know, I think I'm holding the business up. Well, that's not true. I'm not holding the business up, but I'm worth thousands of dollars to them from the amount of people I've brought there. So the other night I approached the counter to pay and the maitre d' asked me how my meal was and I said it was great and I let croaky voiced Adam finish the story. And she said to me, you know, um, we do have other things on the menu other than chicken tacos, don't you? (laughs) And I said, yeah, but I like the chicken tacos. Yeah. And she said, yeah, but I think if you look at the menu and try some other stuff, you'll like other things. And I said, yeah, yeah, I like the chicken tacos. <laughs> just, just leave me alone. I don't, I don't want you to hear about you bagging me in the kitchen. There's that dude who wants the chicken tacos again. Yeah, but I don't know why restaurants are so keen on making you try other things. Yeah. Like, Unless it's an upsell, like try the $89 steak or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, like, oh, but you, you always have the chili scrambles. Like, yes, <laughs> the main reason I come here. That's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know it. I don't want to risk meals. They're the yes. most favourite, it's one of my most favourite things to do. And if I start gambling here, well, <laughs> that's a lot of anxiety as you bring out something, <laughs> the enchiladas. <laughs> it's a lot of anxiety. It's dead right. It's like, I don't want to risk anything. I want to have your, your pork. <laughs> um, the last question, mate, if you could go back five years, what advice would you give yourself? Who uh, invent a game called Wordle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for tuning in to Out of the Question. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. Until next time, thanks for joining us. <laughs>